This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. Glad to be here this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Matthew today. Matthew 13. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 13. Um, so we, last week we started on a series where we're going to be looking at all the, the parables of Jesus. So uh, Jesus would use parables to teach folks, but there's a little bit more of a deeper meaning behind the parables. Um, and then we're also going to kind of see like what they actually mean in context. A lot of us kind of use the teachings of Jesus and um, kind of put our own little spin to it. But in order for it to be effective, we, we have to look at what the Word of God has to say to us. So we started last week with Jesus using these two parables of counting the cost about building. Like you, you don't just like build something without planning. And then he also looked at two kings, like really like can, can we take them out? They have 10,000 soldiers. I mean, they have 20, but we have 10. Maybe we should ask for terms. So we looked at counting the cost, and then today... We're going to talk a little bit about fishing. Anybody here love fishing? I'm, on, I'm by myself? Okay, great. All right, there you go. Got a couple. Um, so we're going to look at a parable that Jesus teaches about a net. Um, so before we dive in, I want to make one thing clear when we talk about parables, because a lot of people are like, well, Jesus used stories, so maybe that's the way that we should always teach. But I, I want to make something real clear here, because we don't see Jesus using parables until Matthew chapter 13. So he always taught straight up. Like you saw like Matthew 6, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he was always very forthcoming. But in Matthew 13, that's when he switches over. So when he starts ad- addressing the multitudes and the crowds, that's when he starts using parables. Why did Jesus use parables? And I was like, well, Ricky, so people could understand better. Well, actually, not really. Jesus spoke in parables to kind of use it as a veil for for truth. So for non-believers, the people people that rejected him, the people that turned away from light, he would use it um, as as a means of justice, but also mercy. So you don't you're rejecting the son of God. You're rejecting absolute truth. So I'm going to speak in parables so that way it doesn't condemn you further. So if, but if you accept me and if you accept my truth and you accept light, you're going to understand what I am telling you. So like the Holy Spirit's going to reveal that to you. Now, I know that's kind of like a difficult um, truth to, to accept. But honestly, that's why Jesus would use parables in his time. So we're going to look at the parable of a fishing net and look at verse 47. I'm going to just read the passage. It's pretty short. It says, starting on verse 47, it says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. 
Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it is. It will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your truth. Lord, I pray that you teach us something through your word, that we're able to, um, to see your beauty in all this, Lord. And thank you because you are good. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I forgot to pray for the Cowboys because they didn't look too good last night. Uh, it's only preseason, though. It's all right. Sorry, right? Look a little rough, a little, a little rusty. Yeah. I think South Hills could have taken them out. Um, so, <laughs> joking. High school. All right. So, um, on Friday, I was able to take Elena on a, this impromptu date night. Uh, we didn't really have much things planned. We had a lot going on, so I wasn't able to do much, but I was able to kind of get away for a couple of hours. And Elena and I, when I asked her, what do you want to go on a date? Do you want to go out to eat? Where do you want to go? So, of course, she throws out, I want the trampoline park. Anybody here has been to a trampoline park? Yeah. Anybody love, Eric, you like trampoline parks? Uh, <laughs> too soon. Um, just ask Eric about it. He'll tell you all about it. Um, we went to this trampoline park, and, and me and Elena were there, and Elena was so excited. Um, I forgot how exhausting it is. But as I was at the trampoline park, I started to notice that at the trampoline park, there's three types of parents that go to the trampoline park. The first parent is the active one. So these are the parents that put the socks on, and they get involved with the kids. They're doing flips. They're on the, the zip lines. They're, they're doing, like, that would be me because Elena is not just going to let me sit there. But the, there's the active parents, but then you have the parents who are just glued to their phones the whole time. So their kids are playing, could care less. They're just on their phone doing whatever, watching, like, videos on social media. They're, they're like, videotaping their kids, all that stuff. They're just glued to their phones the whole time. But then I realized that there's a third set of parents that don't really want to be there, but they have to. Um, and these are the parents, and you could tell because they bring, like, their whole office. So they have, like, their laptop or they have, like, a, um, their iPad. And, and I was looking at this one lady, and she, she had a, the iPad going on with Netflix. She was watching some kind of show. She was on her phone. She had a Sudoku, you know, like those crossword puzzles with the, well, not with the numbers. And then she had, like, a little cooler. So she came knowing, like, I'm going to be here for three hours and I don't care. Like, I'm going to do my, my own stuff. Kids, do whatever you want. Go run. Go get tired. So they're all, but, but all the parents are under this one roof, and they all might have, like, different motivations and intentions, but they're there because of the kids. Like, that's their purpose. And we're going to look at this parable that Jesus teaches us, and he's going to talk about a net because everyone's going to be, well, not everybody, a bunch are going to be underneath this this net, but there's people that are going to serve different purposes here, and God is going to sort them out. So regardless of why you think you're where you're going to be, God has a purpose and a defined reason 
why you're there and why you're not. And we got to look at that. Jesus is very, very explicit here. So let's break this down. Look at verse 47. So he says, once again, so Jesus just finished doing some parables, and he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about eternity. So he says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. All right, there's a lot going on in verse 47. You're like, well, Rick, there's only like a couple sentences. There's a lot going on here. So we have to, if you look at once again, we look at what he taught in the past. But we're going to look at those stories a little bit later on. But I want us to look at, he says, the kingdom of heaven. When you see kingdom of heaven, that actually means the kingdom of God. That means where God is. Now, you got to remember, when they wrote the scriptures through man, a lot of the Jewish writers would not dare mention the name of God. They would not even verbalize it, let alone write it by hand. Because they, they, they honored God's name so strongly. So you might see kingdom of heaven. You might see kingdom of God. It means about the same thing. But the author here did not want to write God's name down. So he uses heaven. And he talks about it's like a net that's let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Now notice here on verse 47, it doesn't say caught every single fish. He's saying it caught all kinds of fish, which insinuates that there's some that are caught in the net and there's some that are not caught in the net. See, what God is, is kind of breaking down here is that he's talking about salvation. He's talking about those who know him and those who think they know him. So this net encompasses those who God elects to reveal himself to him. And that's a whole nother sermon. But we're going to keep going. So he says, caught all kinds of fish. So the net that they're talking about is what is it's called a drag net. So in that time, fishing was a major industry. It, it still is in the, that region of the world. And they would use this thing called a drag net. Now, I had to look it up. Sorry. This is kind of what a drag net is. I'm visual. Right. So. Um, so a drag net is pretty much this huge net that you would use to go fishing. All right, I'm going to throw it on this section so y'all not playing. Um, and it's, it's weighted at the bottom. So fishermen would take it and just launch it into the ocean, and then it would fall in the water, and everything that is pretty much in it will get stuck in it. And then they would pull it to the shore, and then that's how they would sort out the fish. So it was this massive weighted net. Now... In those times, um, they would use a net that's way bigger, so it would take like three or four boats to, to, take the, to bring this net in. Now, what's interesting about fishing in the sea versus fishing in Cedar Creek Lake is that when I go to Cedar Creek, I know exactly what I'm going to catch. It's either a catfish or a car battery. I mean, like, you just don't. In Echo Lake, it's either. No, I'm still good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> chill. Why did everybody laugh? Like, what's wrong? <laughs> Might be like an arm. Anyway, so um, <laughs> so you, you kind of know what you're going to catch, but when you go fishing in the ocean or the sea, you really don't know what you're going to pull up. 
It could be some weird looking mutation of a fish. I mean, you, you don't know the kind of colors it is. So as they're fishing in the Sea of Galilee, um, they're pulling this net, and that's kind of the easy part. Now, the laborious part is that after they bring all the fish in, all the fishermen will sit down and start divvying them up like the good fish that they could use and sell at the market and eat, and then the ones that they can't. And look at verse 48, and Jesus brings this. So the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's let down. It catches all kinds of fish. And in verse 40, it says, when it's full, the fishermen pull it on the shore. Then they sat down and collected good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad fish. That's interesting. So Jesus is using this very relevant principle to to kind of um, point out the spiritual truth. And I found it fascinating where it says they, they put the good fish in baskets, but what do they do with the bad ones? It says they throw them away. And I started digging. I'm like, why would you? Does it mean throw them back? Like, oh, this ain't going to work. No, it means to discard them. Like, you get rid of it. You don't throw it back. You throw it away. So they're sitting there, and they're putting the good fish in baskets, and they're throwing away the bad ones. And then Jesus explains to them, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. All right, so here Jesus is pretty much talking about the afterlife. He's talking about heaven and hell and that I want us to understand that these are very real places I know this is kind of a hard thing to talk about but Jesus is being really clear here he's talking about the end of the age what's the end of the age the end of the age is when Jesus returns so the Bible talks about this in Revelation and Jesus also talks about this that one day he will come back again that is the hope for believers Like, we want him to come back. He will come back. He will come back the same way that he descended into heaven. So the end of the age means that there's going to be believers as well as non-believers here. Now, what Jesus is referring to, when we look at weeping and gnashing of teeth, we see this in Luke chapter 16, verses 23. This is eternal damnation. So those who are not believers in Christ, those who reject his grace and reject his mercy and reject the sacrifice that he did on the cross for us will be separated and they will spend eternity away from God. Now, I know a lot of us are like, well, Ricky, how in the world can a loving God do that? And my question to you is, no, how in the world can a loving God give you a way out? We sinned against him. We turned our back against him. He created us, and we said no to him. Why not just wipe us clean? Like, why, why not just destroy everybody? But you see, what God did was God, in his mercy and his kindness and his goodness, says, listen, you deserve the wrath of my father. You deserve my wrath due sin, but I'm going to give you away, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is describing this to his disciples. 
Now, something else I want us to, to think about here is the fish. Jesus says that everybody in the net that comes up, you're going to be divided the good fish and the bad fish. What this does not mean is good people and bad people. A lot of people like read this and they're like, yes, yeah, talking about like the good Christians and the bad Christians. And if you do bad things and God's going to like, no, 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 no. Like the Bible even tells us there's nobody that's good. Not one of us is good. So we can't use good and bad. What he's talking about are those who are followers of Christ and those who are not followers of Christ. And it's very clear in the Bible that there's going to be people who claim to know Jesus, but their lives don't show the fruit. Who claim to know Jesus, but don't really know him. Those are the ones that are going to be divided up. We see this in Matthew 7, where there's going to be, where, where God says that there's people that, that are going to do miracles in his name. There's going to be people that do things in the name of Christ, but when they stand in front of him in judgment, God's going to look at them and be like, I don't know who you are. Turn away, I never knew you. It's kind of a tough message. But what Jesus, that's what Jesus is referring to. And there's three groups here. So all of those that are in the net, what does the net represent? The net represents the kingdom of heaven, the good news. We see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus shows up and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, heaven has come down to earth. I am here. The good news is that net. That is the good news. In our Bible studies, we're actually talking about what is the gospel. What is the good news? And remember, the good news starts with bad news first. The, right? the bad news is that we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. And we're, we're doomed for. But the good news is that Christ came and gave his life and took our place. And if we're repentant and we give our lives to him, then we will be saved and we will be with him in paradise that's the good news but i also want us to understand something about jesus remember who jesus is talking to jesus is talking to a jewish population here and with the jewish population comes a jewish eschatology that's a big fancy word right eschatology means like the theology of their end times and we saw this when Jesus talks about destroying the temple when we, when we studied Mark. So what Jewish eschatology tells us, and this is what the Jews truly believed in, they believed that God will redeem the Jewish people from captivity and that, I'm sorry, that were taken into Babylonian exile. So that's where Exodus comes in, where Moses leads them all out. So they believe that the Messiah, whoever is going to come, is going to free all Jews. And that God returns the Jewish people to the land of Israel. So that all the Jewish people were going to come to one specific location. That God was going to restore the house of David and the temple of Jerusalem, which was destroyed in 7th century. God creates this, um, this Messiah that was going to not just restore the people, but the Messiah was going to lead the people as well. All nations would recognize that the God of Israel is the one true God. God resurrects the dead, and then God creates a new heaven and a new earth. So 
That was the Jewish eschatology of that time. So when Jesus is telling this parable, what he's saying is that, no, there's good fish and there's bad fish. There's not Jewish fish. So that means that my, my love, my salvation is not just for the Jewish people. It's for everybody. This, was a, this blew everybody's mind. Because the Jews thought the Messiah was only for them. It was Jews and then Gentiles, and that was it. But what Jesus is saying is like, no, 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 no. Like, this is everyone. Everyone has the opportunity to have a relationship with me and has the opportunity to experience the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And then we look at verse 49 too. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. So what we see here is that angels are going to come at the end of the age. When Jesus comes back, angels are going to show up and angels are going to help God distribute those who know him versus those who do not know him. And those who do not know him will be thrown into the burning furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And listen, this isn't like a thing to spook people or to scare, like I said, scare the hell out of you. No, like, this is for away from him. It's a hard truth. And I want us to understand that hell is not a place where bad people go. Hell is a place where people that have rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ go. That's what they want. And heaven is not a place where people go that don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place where people that love Jesus want to go be with Jesus. That's, that's our hope. That's our glory. That's what we hope for. That's what we strive for. And then once we're there, it's a wonderful place where there is no more pain. There is no more hurt. There's the absence of sin. There's the absence of all these things. So Jesus is talking about this to his folks. And then I love what he does in verse 51. Do you understand these things, Jesus asked? And they're like, yes, we understand. Now, I don't know if the disciples truly understood, but that is not up to me. You know, like kids, when you're like, Miha, do you understand? They're like, uh-huh. And then you walk away, and they're like, what do we do? <laughs> I know teachers see that. Parents with teenagers have that a lot, too. But, but so we don't know. But I love what he says to them in verse 52. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old ones. You see, so rather than understand the new insights of Jesus's parables, he's telling the disciples that you got to take the old truths with the new truths, the old covenant with the new covenant. It's, it's both and. Because everything in the Old Covenant points to Christ. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So everything that you have needs to point to him. And he's like, everything you've ever understood is going to all make sense with Christ. See, the main idea is that the disciples who had just claimed to understand what Jesus taught are now responsible to bring forth their understandings to other people. So whenever the Lord reveals himself to us, 
through the Holy Spirit and we become regenerated, it is your responsibility, my responsibility, it is our responsibility to make him known to others. It is not the responsibility only of the church or of missionaries. No, like it is your responsibility. You have the good news. You carry that message. And like the storehouse, you are to make things that are old and new made known to everyone. So a lot of us have a past that we look at and we're like, man, like Ricky, like I did this in my past. I did all these things. And Jesus is saying, no, I I made you new. But that means I redeemed your past as well. So you could still use your past to tell other people about me. You see, it doesn't just disappear, go away. God redeems it and restores it and uses it now for his glory. All of our terrible experiences, our heartbreak, our hurt, the things that God like saved us from doesn't automatically disappear. But if you give it to the Lord and let him use it and redeem it, he's going to use it for his glory and not yours, which is great news because that could be difficult. So as believers, we need to understand that hell is a real thing and that there's three groups that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those outside of the net, those that are in the net, and then those that get divided up. So outside of the net means that those are the ones that did not receive the kingdom of God. They never heard. They, they weren't elected to know. The Holy Spirit has not revealed this to their hearts yet. Then all of those inside of the net are those that God is, is choosing to bring to him. But amongst that, there's going to be two groups. There's going to be followers of Christ, real true followers that believe in Jesus And then those that are imposters, the fake believers, the pretenders, the ones who just have nothing but religion in their life. Those are going to be the groups, and God is going to sort them out. So God wants everyone to know him. Revelation 5, 9, every tribe and tongue, the people and nation, not every tribe, but people in every tribe, he wants to bring to him. So... We need to understand this. So three quick observations and we'll be done from this text that I think we could apply to our lives, but also are great reminders for us. So number one, if you love them, you'll reach them. Number one, if you love them, you'll reach them. When you have the understanding that hell is a real place and heaven is a real place, and that those who go to be with the Lord are those who are followers of Jesus Christ, And I can't play God. I'm not the one who decides that. But what I do is I'm obedient to his word, and I share the gospel, and then I let the Holy Spirit do its work. And then just let let God take care of that. But if I love somebody, I'm going to go reach them. You know, we do a lot in our community. We seek the welfare of our community. We feed a lot of people. We're about to start feeding the football team again and, and all these things. And the point is not us doing good things. The point is us bringing the gospel to people using this. So if I could feed hungry people and they'll know who I am and they'll trust me, then when I convey the message of the good news, they're going to listen. The point is not to be physically fed, it's to be spiritually fed. 
That's why we do so much out in our community. We want to connect people with the good news of Christ. If you love somebody, you will reach them. If you love somebody, you will be honest with them. If you love them, you will tell them the truth of Christ. Now, if they reject it, that's not up to you. That's the Holy Spirit's work. But it is our responsibility to love people enough to tell them a truth, to say that there's a holy and righteous God, that we are separated from him, but there is Christ, the Son of God, who came to take your place and mine. There's nothing that you have to do. All you got to do is accept it and surrender your life to him. Number two, we have to start viewing people not as good and bad. We have to start viewing people as lost and found. We, we tend to do this a lot. I even catch myself as well. It's not about if somebody is a bad person or they have a bad behavior or they're hooked on something. We, we tend to point them out. But what if instead of leading with, I need to change your behavior to, you know what, like you need Christ. Like that, that's the main problem. The, the main problem is not that you are acting out on something that happened to you a long time ago. Your issue is a heart issue. And Jesus, in regenerating the heart, will then begin to have a work in you. And then the Lord is going to deliver you from some incredible things that are, are holding your life down. We need to start looking at people as lost and found. So the question should not be, hey, do you go to church? The question is not, are you a Christian or not? The question is not if you read the Bible or you, the question is not, do you do good things? No, the question that people need to account for and answer is, are you a follower of Christ? Do you follow Jesus? Do you obey him? Do you worship him? Is he the Lord of your life? When you could answer me that question, then we're talking. We live in the United States. Listen, we live in the Bible Belt. We live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, and it's bedazzled. It's like Nash Vegas. You ask anybody in the city if they're a Christian, they're going to say yes. You ask anybody if they go to church, they're going to they're talk about their church. They're going to talk about the great things. But you ask them, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Christ? They might give you some different types of answers. You know, I, I do a lot of work with the faith community in, in Fort Worth, all sorts of faiths. And it's all good if you talk about God. But as soon as you start bringing the name of Jesus in the picture, all of a sudden that changes the environment. It changes the vibe. It, it changes the conversation. People start getting nervous because there's power in his name. So we need to understand if you love him, you'll reach him. You got to start looking at people, whether they're lost or found, not whether they're good or bad, not whether they act a certain way or believe. No, they're lost, period. And then the last thing is, y'all need, we need to make fishing fun again. Y'all was thinking about this, like we got to make fishing fun again. Why do you go fishing? To catch fish. Duh. Nobody ever says, I'm going fishing to not catch anything. If they tell you that they're lying, if that's the case, then just throw the hook in the water with no bait and sit there and relax. No, you're going fishing because you want to catch something. And fishing is exciting when you catch something. 
Like, when, it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. You caught something, and you're reeling it in, and you're fighting it, and then you go home and you exaggerate the story. Like, man, it was this big, but it broke the line. And then you're like, where is it? Any pictures? And it didn't happen. Right? Um, but it, like I said, if that was the case, then you wouldn't. You see, fishing is thrilling because of what you think you could catch. That, that's the key here. Fishing is exciting because you're out there and you're, you're throwing out bait. You're throwing things out. You're, you're hopeful that you're going to catch something. You know, last uh, January, um, we took a trip to Florida, and we were able to go fishing. And this was to just kind of celebrate Frank a little bit. Go ahead and put that first picture up there. And um, so I was able, we went fishing in the Everglades, and we wanted to catch some bass. And, um, yeah, that didn't happen, but we caught about 50 of these little fish here. And um, we got on this boat, and we had a, a fishing guide. See, if I didn't take the picture, nobody believed me. Um, we had this, like, fishing guide that took us on this big old pontoon boat, and we're out there just, like, and he's telling us, like, hey, man, you got to throw it on the seaweed. Like, you got to throw it right there. That's where they pop up. And it's... You know, it's kind of cool. It's fun. And I remember um, looking at Ernesto. Ernesto did it for, like, what, like 20 minutes, 30? And he's like, all right, I'm over it. Like, he caught, like, one, and that was it. And then it's like it just went, it just went dead. But you see, it gets a little frustrating when you don't catch anything. And most times you don't catch anything because you're not casting. You're not out there. And then some people were like, well, Rick, like, how did you know where to go fish? Easy. We had a guide that showed us where to go fishing. And, and lo and behold, you never know what you might catch. Go to the next one. Because I actually caught the biggest fish out of the whole team. That's right. I blame Margate. Uh, inside joke. Now, here's what's wild. It was the biggest fish, but it was the ugliest fish I've ever seen. Like, this thing was hideous. I had no intention on cooking it, mounting it. I didn't want to touch it. Like, this is called a mudfish. But let me tell you, when I got that sucker on, like, the, the hook, it was awesome. You're just like, ah, we're going to die. Like, like, you think Jaws is going to pop up and somebody has to hold me, you know, so I don't fall in. Um, like, you just start thinking all these things in your mind, and then the guide's like, just like, you guys are just stupid. Um, but, but it was awesome because... It's the thrill of that catch. And, and you see, when, whenever, we, um, whenever we start thinking, if I love you, then I'm going to reach you, I got to look at you as lost and found. Maybe some of us haven't had that thrill of the catch yet because you haven't cast it in so long. And you're like, well, Ricky, where do I fish? Where do I fish? You have a guide. It's called the Holy Spirit. So as you're out working and in school, wherever you are, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. Wherever you are is where God has sent you to. That is your mission field. You don't have to go, like, to other countries. and all. No, like, God has you where you are. Like, that's the sovereignty of our God. So you ask the Lord, like, Lord, show me where to cast. Like, where do I go fishing? What, what do I use? What do I say? 
And God is going to point you to the right person, to the right place, to the right direction. And your job is to cast. Your job is to share the gospel. Your job is to talk about Jesus, to share the great things he's done with you. Some we learn in Honduras, if you know a little, you share a little. And if you know a lot, you share a lot. But you got to share. So you have no excuse. This is what he told the disciples. He's like, no, no, it's like the old and in you. Like, once you know this, it's your responsibility to say something. And listen, the more you cast and the more that you catch, and when I say catch, it's not you winning souls. It's him winning souls because you allowed him to use you to do his work. And the more you do that, man, listen, there is no greater joy there's no greater adrenaline rush. There's no greater buzz that you could achieve in life than to see somebody open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. That is where it's at. Like when, when somebody does it, you're like, where's the next one? Like, let's keep this going. This is awesome because you know that their life is going to change. You know that their lives are going to improve. Like their families are going to improve. Like there's going to be generations of like, sin in their life that's going to be eradicated because they gave their life to Christ and the Lord used you to do that. And I think some of us meander through this world and we don't look at people like that and we just kind of do whatever we want to do. Maybe you just forgot what it's like to go fishing. You forgot what it's like to cast. You forgot what it's like to cast something. And I want to encourage you today Ask your guide, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you so that way you could start casting that net, which is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see the Holy Spirit do some work, and it's going to blow your mind. And when he does, you're going to be asking yourself, when is the next one? Let's keep this thing going. Let's keep fishing. This is awesome. This is fun. This is great. God's doing some amazing things. So let's, like, let's start looking at people, whether they're lost or found. Let's start, if we love them, let's reach them, and let's make fishing fun again. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for all that you do in our lives, God. God, thank you so much for your truth, Lord. Lord, it's not easy to understand that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, and those who believe in Christ will go to be with you. And those who do not believe in Christ will spend eternity away from you. And God, that should be the thing that drives us to love people, to reach people, to be, become a part of their lives. So, Father, I pray that you convict us this morning. And, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here, Father, that has not made that decision to surrender their lives to you or, or really just surrender their whole being to you, Father, and make you Lord of their life, that you, you start to, to make that movement in their hearts, Father, because it is the greatest thing in the world. So, Jesus, help us to love people, help us to reach people, help us to enjoy the process of being led by the Holy Spirit again, and help us not to get complacent. So, Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And all these things we pray. Amen. So let's worship together.